But he is risen. He is risen in his book, The King's Cross, Tim Keller uh, says that we live in a day and an age when good, like happy endings are not good stories. Like, like it's not good art because happy endings are just too convenient. Happy endings, uh, they feel escapist. Happy endings do not reflect life. And good art always should not only reflect life, it should help you interpret life. And so therefore, good art, good stories do not have happy endings. And to be honest, I get it. Have any of you seen the movie uh, Facing the Giants? Okay, I see a few hands go up. Uh, If you're not familiar with this movie, it's a Christian film from several years ago. It's about a football coach who is the head coach of the football team at a local Christian high school. And the team stinks. They're they're awful. They start their season like 0-3. The parents want to fire him. Uh, His car is a piece of junk. His wife can't get pregnant. Like everything is going wrong for this dude. But then in a pivotal scene... He walks out among the trees with his Bible, and he prays to God and dedicates himself to whatever you want, God, that's what we'll do. And suddenly, the team starts winning. He's given a new truck, and his wife gets pregnant. And oh, by the way, they win the state championship. And he's like the epitome of the happy ending. And do you know what my response is? An eye roll. Like, I look at it and just go, oh, good grief, come on. I mean, have you ever heard that joke about country music? You, you know what happens when you play country music backwards. You get your truck back, your wife back, your job back, your life back. I figured it out. Facing the Giants is nothing but a cheesy country song played in reverse. That's why the critics look at things like Facing the Giants, give a great big eye roll, and just tear it apart in their reviews. Because good art, the greatest stories, don't have happy endings. Because it doesn't reflect life. Let me give you an example. Imagine that you've waited so long to have a child. And so then you have the happy ending of giving birth. But then you just go home to dirty diapers and sleepless nights and they turn into rebellious teenagers. (laughs) Or let's say you've longed to get married. You spent a lot of your years single. You've longed to be connected to someone, and then your happy ending, your fantasy day comes. You get married. But then the honeymoon ends. You come back to the job, the humdrum of life, and you argue about how to load the dishwasher. Or kids, how about this? Let's say your dream, your happy ending, is to finally get to go to Disney World. Your mom and dad save their money, they work it all out, you guys go down, and you have the happy ending of the greatest week of your life. And then you come home, and you have to go back to school, and you still have to share your toys with your siblings. All of our happy endings aren't really endings. They may just be high moments, but then the rest of life continues. And so therefore, good art, the greatest stories don't have happy endings. But J.R.R. Tolkien, in his little essay, you might know Tolkien from his famous work, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. He wrote this essay called On Fairy Tales. In his essay, 
he said that, that happy endings aren't bad art, that actually happy endings give us a glimpse of a deeper reality. That they're not just some form of escape, they're actually showing we have a deep longing for something truer and something better. After years of doing full-time ministry, counseling people, leading them, discipling them, studying the Bible, I'm convinced Tolkien's right. That these happy endings aren't just a form of escape. They're actually showing us that we were created for something more. Easter time. There are people who look at the whole story and see the happy ending of Jesus' resurrection. And because we know that dead people don't rise again, we think to ourselves, that means this isn't true. This isn't real. This must be the type of story that belongs in a movie theater, but not necessarily in our lives. Because good art, the greatest stories, don't have happy endings. But because I believe Tolkien's right, I believe that our greatest stories, those with the happiest of endings, even facing the giants, are actually pointing us to the Easter story, pointing us to something greater, something that we actually were created for, something we long for. And I really hope that I'm able to show it to you in the book of Mark. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Mark chapter 16. If you're a first-time guest with us, whether in person or online, and you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the scripture on the screen. But if you have a Bible on your phone, totally feel free to use that. If you want a paper Bible, we have some out on our resource uh, table. After our worship gathering, totally feel free to stop by. Pick one of those up. We've got two different translations. That would be our Easter gift to you. We'd love to just give that to you, and you can have that as your own Bible. Um, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood, and uh, today is a big day. Uh, obviously, it's a big day because it's Easter. This is the most important day on the Christian calendar. Like for the church, the global church, this is the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's bigger than the Super Bowl. Now, some people really, really like Christmas, and I do too. Christmas is great, but Christmas is meaningless without Easter. What sets Christmas apart, the coming of Jesus, is the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Right? Only person to pull it off. I mean, yeah, Jesus may have risen some people from the dead, but they died again, poor people. But Jesus, he rose from the dead, raised himself, and then he is still alive to this day. That's what sets Christmas apart, and that's what makes today the biggest day for the Christian church. It's also a big day because every year at Easter, Riverwood gets to mark another anniversary. Today would mark our eighth anniversary as a church. We started on Easter Sunday, 2014, and so it's by God's grace that eight years later, we are still hoping and praying that God would use us to invest in people, to inspire them and challenge them to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And so it's kind of cool that here we are again, eight years later, and God is continuing to grow us and use us to help be a blessing to the world. But it's also a big day, and these are in order of importance, Easter, Riverwood, and then this last thing. Today, we finally finished the book of Mark. <laughs> Guys, I didn't know you wanted out of Mark that badly. Uh, sorry, I kept you trapped all this time. We started this two years ago. Right as our world was about to enter into a pandemic, we thought, you know what? We as a church, we talk about being a Jesus-centered church, but we had never taken the time to study one of the Gospels. So we thought, let's just dive into one. So we picked Mark and uh, have been studying it for the last two years. Now, if you're a first-time guest, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, two years? We've taken a lot of breaks 
But if you saw the title slide there, today is the 51st sermon in this series. So we've had almost a year's worth of sermons in it, looking at the person and purpose of Jesus. And today we get to finish it. So I'm glad you're here and at least get to hear the happy ending. So we're going to read from Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. So as we get ready to read from the scriptures, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. The day that we get to celebrate with the global church the resurrection of your son. This man who came to this earth, the son of God, God himself, who took on human flesh, lived a fully human life, but lived the only sinless life that was ever lived. And yet he went and died on a cross as if he were a criminal, as if he were a great sinner, because he was taking our place. And so today we say thank you. But we don't just look at the cross and think that's the end. There is a happier ending. You, Jesus, rose again. You even said that no one could take your life from you. You lay it down willingly, and you would then take it back up, and you did just that. So I pray that you would today fill us with awe. You would fill us with hope that we would see your love, we would see your power, and it would impact us and change us. So God, do this morning what you need to do. Say to us what you want to say so we become the people you call us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, the him being Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Christians divide it into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament begins with what are known as the four Gospels. Their names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we've been studying the second of those Gospels. But I don't know if I've admitted it to the Riverwood family, but for a number of years in my life, I was uncomfortable with the book of Mark. It was my least favorite of the four. If I wanted to direct someone to something about Jesus, his teaching, his life, I would go to Matthew, Luke, or John. I would do what I could to avoid Mark. And one of the reasons was this ending. It ends right here in verse 8. Now, if you have a Bible open, you may be looking at it going, um, no, Aaron, I see a number nine. It keeps going. Well, our best and most reliable manuscripts do not have those verses. There are some manuscripts that do have that, but the best ones, the most reliable, end at verse 8. So most likely what you're seeing is verse 9, 10, and on. 
That was probably written by some sort of scribe who's trying to help Mark out. But what we have, if Mark wrote anything after verse 8, we, we don't have it. He ends right there in this weird, abrupt, awkward spot of these women so scared they're speechless and he says they say nothing to anyone. And that made me uncomfortable. I, I feared that if someone would read the book of Mark and get to that ending, they'd go, wait, what? And besides, it sounds like it contradicts what Matthew, Luke, and John have. They have the women going back into the, the city, going to the disciples, telling them, Jesus rose from the dead. We saw this angel. They don't believe him. So Peter and John run out and they see it for themselves. But here he has them staying quiet. It just made me uncomfortable. And, and so I didn't want anyone else to really see it, to notice, to pay much attention for fear it would cause them to not trust the Bible and maybe even destroy their faith. But now, I'm convinced that God very strategically and brilliantly had Mark end it like this. There are some really important things going on, and I want to share some of those with you today. First, what Mark does by ending so abruptly reflects some of the literature of the time. It was actually somewhat common for someone to end it so abruptly because it seemed like it, it would grab a hold of your attention. It would make it more memorable. But the hope was also that if you were a good author, you've already shared the ending to the story earlier in your work. It's called foreshadowing. And that's exactly what Mark has done. Mark has already foreshadowed what was going to take place. Once in chapter 8 again in chapter 9, and then one last time in chapter 10, we hear Jesus himself say he's going to be killed, but he will rise again. Now, there are many religious leaders, cult, I should actually say cult leaders, who have prophesied and predicted their death. But if you think about it, how hard is that? I mean, I could do that right now. I could stand here and say, I prophesy and predict that I will die. And then in one year, 10 years, 100 years from now, you're at my funeral and you're going to go, oh my gosh, he was right. <laughs> it's not hard to predict your death. But to predict your resurrection and actually pull it off, that's remarkable. And John's, I mean, Mark's already told us, Jesus said this three times ahead of time. And so his ending the work it's not like he's, he's denying the resurrection happened. He says right there in verse 6, this angel says, yep, this, uh, Jesus rose from the dead. But he's also told us, yeah, Jesus knew this was going to happen. I've already told you the ending to the story. Also, Mark knows that his written work is not the first time his readers have heard this. The story has already traveled so we all know that the women did eventually go back. We're going to talk about why they stay silent for this moment. But we, they did eventually go back, tell the disciples, and the story spread. And pretty soon, everyone around the Roman Empire was hearing, did you hear about that Jewish carpenter that the Romans killed, but he came back to life? Yeah, there's like all these disciples who claim it's true. In fact, I heard that 500 people saw him. It happened. So word has already spread. So Mark is not trying to tell them something they don't already know. In fact, um, I'm, I'm going to do something. Uh, let's see. Joa Anderson, would you be willing to help me with something? Yeah? Okay, come here for a second. 
Okay, I would like you all to meet my friend Joah, in case you don't know him. Joah is super awesome and cool, and if you ever want to know anything about bugs, this is the guy to ask, okay? All right, now, Joah, what is my name? Aaron. Aaron, okay, that's because you already know me. But I want you to imagine that every time I see you, like whenever you walk in on, on a Sunday morning for church, or I stop by your house to see your family, or we run into each other at the community, or at the W, imagine every time I see you, I go, hey, Joah, my name's Aaron. Now, you probably think like the first time it's kind of funny. I'm just being weird because Aaron's weird. But what would you think after I do this like 100 times, 300 times? Every time I see you, hi, I'm Aaron. What do you start to think? I would get kind of annoyed. Yeah, you'd get annoyed. Like, does this guy think I'm that stupid? I know your name. You don't have to keep saying it over and over and over. All right, thank you very much. Have a good day. Happy Easter. Mark does not need to tell his audience Jesus rose from the get dead and the word spread because they all know. He's already told them through the book, but they are already experiencing it. The whole reason they're reading this letter is because he's just filling in the gaps. He's letting them know, here's who Jesus was. Here who's, here's how he taught. Here's what he did. They've heard the stories, but now here it is written down so they can easily see it and read it and remember it and share it. But they already know he doesn't have to say it yet again because he's already put it in his work. But clearly, that bothered some scribes and copyists. Clearly, as they know that the resurrection is the greatest miracle that the world has ever seen or experienced, they're a little bothered, like me, that Mark ends it with a period saying the women are quiet. But, 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 but wait a second. No, 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 they weren't. And so they had to help Mark out. We don't need to help Mark out. As I've said, he's already put everything in there that we need. Think about it. Even though he ends it like this, we know Jesus lived this remarkable life. Jesus went and died an unjust death. And yet Jesus rose again from the dead. All of those facts are right there. We have everything we need to know. And so just because he ends the story, yeah, the, the women were kind of quiet. They didn't say anything to anyone. It shouldn't bother us because the word still spread. So why then? Why does he end it like this so awkwardly and abruptly? Well, number one, I think he enjoys irony. If you've been with us throughout this story, Oh, by the way, kids, do you know what irony is? I, I realize that you, you, some of you do, some of you don't. Irony, um, a key element of irony is uh, contradiction. Like you expect one thing, but really you end up with the opposite. Uh, okay, here's an example. In English, we, uh, we say that we park on a driveway, but we drive on a parkway. Right? You'd think we park on the parkway, but no, we, we kind of say it backwards. It's, it's a contradiction. It's not quite what you expect. Some people might say, well, that's a bit of irony. I think Mark likes irony because throughout his book, we've been seeing Jesus perform some amazing miracles. Right, he, he heals a guy of leprosy, uh, causes another lame guy who can't walk to suddenly be able to stand up and walk. Uh, he, he exercises a demon out of a, a guy. Each time after these miracles, well, maybe not each time, but several times, he ends up looking at them and saying, oh, hey, don't tell anyone. And yet, even though Jesus has just healed them, says, okay, don't tell anyone, they can't help themselves. They go out and they tell everyone. 
In fact, I think it's back in chapter 1 or 2. It says that Jesus could no longer go into public places because people would swarm him because he'd perform these miracles and the people who had the miracle would go and tell everybody. But now, at the end of the story, the happy ending, Jesus has risen from the dead. These women are now witnesses to the greatest miracle the world has ever seen and they say nothing. I think Mark is delighting in irony. Now, we know from Matthew, Luke, and John that eventually at least one of these women go back and tell the disciples. So why does Mark end it like this? Well, I think a couple of things. I think it's allowing us to feel the raw honesty of the story. Think about it for a second. Think about what these women have experienced. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And on Friday, they saw him die. And not just collapse and die, like brutally murdered. It's what we just remembered on Good Friday. Their world has been rocked. uh, Saturday, Silent Saturday, was probably the worst day of their life. But now, here on Sunday, they still want to go and honor the body. They want to honor the life that Jesus lived. They want to do for him what they would do for any of their family members. They didn't have time on Friday. So they they get the spices and they start making their way. But they didn't quite plan it all out. Like, wait a second, there's that huge stone in front of the tomb where we saw them lay the body. How are we going to roll that back? And then they get there and suddenly the stone is already rolled. Before they arrive, wait, what's going on? Did, Did someone come and steal the body? So they rush into the tomb. So now their hearts are going nuts. They, what, what is happening? And suddenly, here's this dude. Actually, we know from one of the other Gospels, there's two of them. One at the uh, head of where Jesus would have been and another at the foot. They, they come in and they see, wait a second. There, there's this guy gleaming in white clothes. What is going on? And the guy says, oh, hey, by the way, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was crucified? Yeah, he, he's alive. He's risen from the dead. That, that's why he's not here. I mean, look, look at the place where his body was. It's, it's gone. He's alive. So go back and tell Peter and the other disciples. Can you imagine if you'd witnessed that, experienced that? Your world has been absolutely rocked. The greatest person that you thought was the Messiah has died, and now he's gone. And now some dude gleaming in white is telling you, oh, yeah, he's risen from the dead. Um, guys, I've been to a lot of funerals. Not once have I ever seen the dead person get up and walk out. That doesn't happen. That's not reality. What is going on? And so these women retreat, and they're scared. What is happening? Now, we know eventually one of them makes it back, tells the disciples, and the whole story continues, and the the word spreads. But he wants us to feel the raw emotion for a moment. But I think he's doing another thing. I think Mark is issuing us a challenge. Imagine, you're reading this for the very first time. You already know Jesus rose from the dead. You read verse 6, this angel announces it, and then suddenly you read verses 7 and 8, and you see the reaction of the women. They retreat out of the tomb, and they say nothing to anyone. You're probably thinking, what? Like, they've just witnessed the greatest miracle ever? He's alive and they don't tell anyone? And it's a challenge. Because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, 
you claim to be a witness to the resurrection. You know the story. The story has gotten to you, whether through your family, through friends, through a, a, a preacher, through the Bible. You know the story. You know the miracle. But now the question is, will you remain silent like the women or will you go and share it? Because you've witnessed the greatest miracle ever. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like maybe you've got questions about it. Maybe you think, well, I think I am, but I'm really having some doubts. I'm really wrestling with some things theologically about the church and about the Bible and about the gospel. I just want you to know, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming on Easter. Whether, whether you're right here in person or you're online, we started this church and went public eight years ago to create a church for you. We want this to be a place where people can ask questions and study this and figure it out. We believe that all people are born spiritually dead. They're dead in their sin. But the whole story that we've just heard today is Jesus, by dying on the cross, sin can be forgiven and our spiritual deadness can be washed away and we come to spiritual life. In other words, we believe God wants to give you a resurrection. That's why this is the greatest story in the world. And we would love nothing more than on Riverwood's birthday for today to be your spiritual birthday. And so that's why I'm not going to be like the women and I'm going to very directly say, God loves you. Jesus died for you, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again to show he has authority and a power over all things. And it shows us that even in our darkest moments, God's not done. Those deep longings you have inside, the hopes and desires you have for your life will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. No, he may not give you everything you're longing for because he may have something better. But the longing, the hope that's deep within you is longing for the fulfillment of all things, the coming back of Jesus to be united with God. And that can begin today. Most people, when they realize the truth of this story, mark the moment in prayer. In just a little bit, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to create space for you to talk to God. And that is your chance to say, God, if this whole story is true, you really sent your son to this earth to live a sinless life, but to go and die in the sinner's place, I'm now going to give my life to follow you. Many people mark it by confessing sin. They, they say, I'm committing myself to you, and then they ask God to lead them and guide them. If you end up making that decision today, on the connection card inside those handouts, on the back of it is just a spot that says, basically, today I began to follow Jesus. Would you just let us know? Our goal as a church is not to get as many of those check marks as we can. Our goal in, as a church is to help you to become more like Jesus. And today is just the beginning. And that just simply helps us know we want to come alongside you and help you become who God has created you to be. But for many of you, you've had a spiritual birthday. Maybe it's because you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe it's because you found Christ through Riverwood. Maybe it was through something else. But you know the story that I've just talked about is a part of who you are. This is your identity. So I leave you with that challenge. Are you going to remain quiet like the women? Or are you going to go and share it? If you claim to be a Jesus follower, you have witnessed the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. You know that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, but he rose again from the dead. Are you going to stay quiet about it? Now, I'm not asking you to become a street preacher. Not asking you to shove a tract in front of everyone's face. 
I'm not asking you to become a jerk. I am asking you, will you live it? Will you make it a part of your relationships, in your home, at work, out in the community? But will you also let it be part of your words? Will you let this be so much of your identity? You can't help but live it and share it. Because when you share this gospel with someone, you are putting before them the happiest ending the world has ever seen. Because you see how great the resurrection is? It is so great, it swallows up all of the horror of the cross. And people need to see who God is and what he can do. And they need to be given hope because there's something inside of them that is longing for something more. If you keep quiet, you're keeping it from them. But if you will live it and share it, you give them the chance to hear it, to accept it, and to allow this happy ending to be part of their life and lead them into something greater. So Heavenly Father, we come to prayer now to say first, thank you for Jesus, to thank you for what you've done. We didn't really deserve this, but you loved us so much, so passionately, that you, Jesus, unflinchingly went to that cross, but you have so much power you raised yourself from the dead. And I pray that this happy ending would inspire us and motivate us. But God, some of us, we're, we're at different places in our spiritual journey. So God, I just want to create space for them to talk to you. I don't want to say their words for them. So God, would you hear their hearts right now? Would you hear those who are giving their life to you for the first time? Would you hear the hearts of those who have known this story but have not made it a central part of their lives? And today they're saying yes to making this who they are. And I pray for the person that has made this the central part of their life, but it's been a private thing. It's not been a part of, of who they are out in public. So God, would you hear our prayers now? So Jesus, on this Resurrection Sunday, we say thank you. Forgive us for not letting this happy ending be our hope. Forgive us for allowing ourselves to be so enraptured and encaptured in the things of this world that we stop looking at things from your side of heaven. But God, we thank you so much that you loved us that despite our doubts, despite our weaknesses, despite our sin, you came for us to do for us what we could not do, to give us the life we could not earn. And so, Father, for the person that today's their spiritual birthday, we celebrate when there's a party going on in heaven right now, and we are so glad we get to be a part of that. But for the person who's either recommitted themselves or to committed themselves to go and share this, to live this, God, would you make us change agents? This world is hurting. So God, send us to go and be a blessing. Do that great work in us through your Holy Spirit, through this Easter story, so you can then go do a great work through us as we go and live the Easter story. May we be ambassadors of hope. May we be beacons of light. May we show people Jesus Christ resurrected. And may other people be so in awe of it that that happy ending gives them inspiration to give their life to you 
and to then go and be a blessing themselves. So God, thank you for this morning, this chance to worship, this chance to remember, and this chance to celebrate. Not just that Riverwood's had eight years, not just that we've come to the end of a significant book of the Bible, but because it's Easter, because you, Jesus, loved us so much, you died our death, but you bust out of that grave. And so we worship you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.